The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Dan Kazita, and we discuss why the coronavirus is not a biological weapon. Just before we begin, a quick reminder, our film The Dry Cleaner is now available on Amazon and iTunes. If you go to www.drycleanercast.co.uk forward slash watch the film, you can get a link to your preferred application there. Also, if you really enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on your preferred podcast app. Those reviews do make a huge difference. It helps new people discover the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hello, I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you on. So for the benefit of listeners unfamiliar with you and your work, please can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, my name's Dan Kazita. I'm, I'm actually an American, uh, dual citizen now. I live in London, but I'm, I'm on the sort of, um, I stand on top of a very odd 30-year career. Uh, my, my career has seen me sort of, well, for lack of a better term, uh, Forrest Gump my way through uh, the world of chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear weapons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, never really on purpose at the beginning. You know, uh, I, I, you know I, I, my career started as a young army officer after university. I really mm. wanted to be a spy or an yeah. intelligence officer. <laughs> I spent time studying Russian language in university, but the U.S. Army in its infinite wisdom put me in the U.S. Army Chemical Corps, which is that bit of the army that protects the rest of the army from chemical yeah. and biological hazards. Yeah. And I learned much to originally to my despair. Um, you never quite get the taint of that stuff out of you. It's like, well, forgive the uh, uh, metaphor. It's like stepping in dog poo. You never quite get the smell off of you. Um, <laughs> so every attempt I made to try to escape out of chemical and biological and radiological stuff into some sort of more mainstream, respectable career was an absolute failure. And I ended up getting dragged, kicking and screaming back into it, uh, <laughs> eventually to the point at which, you know, there weren't actually that many people who were doing my stuff mm. at the level I was doing it. And after a while, all of a sudden, I'm the smart guy in the room on this stuff. And you know what? It became my career. So I, you know, I started in the army. I ended up, uh, I ended up as a, I ended up then as a defense contractor, as one does, you know, working in the bowels of the Pentagon, ended up working yeah. uh, actually about five floors up <laughs> from where I was uh, after the Tokyo subway uh, uh, sarin poisonings in 1995, mm -hmm. because all of a sudden there was a panic. Uh, yeah. and within about a year, I found myself working at the White House. I was, you know, yeah, you know, I was the right guy at the right time. I happened to be one of the handful of chemical and biological guys wandering around Washington D.C. with a top secret security clearance at the right time. <laughs> uh, so I ended up spending twelve years at the White House in two different roles. Mm. Uh, you know, 
great thing about working at the White House is you can kind of go anywhere and do what you want. You have all the uh, the combined expertise of the entire U.S. government mm-hmm. at your disposal, uh, which is one of the things that makes the present uh, uh, you know, incumbent a little bit disappointing is the fact that, you know, he does have smart people to talk to. He just doesn't do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I won't mm-hmm. editorialize too much about that. <laughs> And now, you know, in, well, in 2008, I moved to the UK because I got married to a British British gal, my 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 mm-hmm. wife. Uh, I ended up working in private industry for a few years. That didn't really take. Uh, so ever since, I've been a consultant, writer, expert. You know, people yeah. pay me either medium to lavish amounts of money for my expertise, depending on who's paying. I've had good years, bad years. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm having a good crisis. Uh, people are actually paying me money for my expertise in my core areas of mm. expertise right now, mm. which in some mm. some years that doesn't happen. Some years I'm reduced to, you know, traditional physical security consulting, locks, alarms, and you know, you know, telling people how to close their windows. I mean, so. Mm. <laughs> I can empathize. I'm a freelance director myself. And so you have good, yeah, you have some years are amazing and some years you're like, my goodness. You know? Yeah. 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 So, I, you know, I mean, I learned a long time ago not to let any crisis, whether it be uh, Sharon in the Tokyo subway or anthrax in the post, mm. uh, you cannot let a good crisis go to waste, particularly if you're like me and I'm advocating for things that are like, you know, substantial reforms or improvements or, you know, we want to get better at dealing with these things. And, you know, that I've learned that the time, to deal with this stuff, deal with the threats of biological terrorism aren't when it's happening. It's two or three years prior, but nobody cares then. All right. So, you know, for example, people get all worked up about tear gas right now and people get worked up about tear gas in Hong Kong. And so actually maybe now is the time to look at, gee, maybe tear gas should be better regulated. But that's another subject entirely from what you wanted to talk to me about. But I could be happy to talk about tear gas some other time because I have a book coming out at some point, probably about two years from now on tear gas. Okay. I I write books now, but there's a good two to three year gestation period on them. So Yeah. There's also weird urban myths about tear gas, like um, how to cope with it once you've been tear gassed. And one of them is putting Coca-Cola in your eyes. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, know, uh, part part of the thing is... Um, people don't like simple answers to things that they think are complicated problems. Uh, that's why people sort of, yeah. sort of stifle, uh, you know, get a bit chafed about lockdown. Uh, well, it's actually a simple answer to a complex problem. All right. This virus that's trying to kill us mm-hmm. is a complex mm-hmm. problem. Uh, but staying the hell away from other people is what breaks the back of it. Okay. Um, we saw this with the Tokyo, well, not the Tokyo, uh, the Skripals in, in Salisbury, where somebody said, you know what, mm. if you're really concerned, you know, mm. wipe your hands off with wet wipes. And they're like, oh, my God, wipe no, that's insulting. Well, mm, actually, it does pretty well work, yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds too low-tech for a high-tech problem. Is that kind of the thing? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And basically, plain water is what you want uh, for pepper spray and tear gas just like you know soap and water for Mm. a virus you don't need to get all you don't need an expensive solution for 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 this soap and water actually is pretty good is it our inner james bond we just want something a bit more kind of cool and complicated yeah Yeah. (laughs) well well you know for since the dawn of the industrial revolution we've lived in a technological age where you know we use complicated things to make our lives Mm. easier okay uh but that doesn't mean we stopped using simple things to make our lives easier. Soap is about seven or 8,000 years old and we mm. use it. Mm. Okay. 
Uh, we eat bread every day. Well, bread is a technological solution of its time. You know how to take grains and turn them into nutrition in the way that's not just crunching on a grain. Um, yeah, uh, beer. Beer is about 10,000 years old. That's anybody oh, I love beer. We all love beer. But beer was a technological solution to what do we do with this grain? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we forget that that was a technological solution of its time. And people still have it. In, you know, people tweak around with the basic recipe of beer. But beer is at its basis the same as it was in ancient Babylon. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, there we go. <laughs> History in the glass right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, um, I want to chat with you about your great Washington Post article, which was titled Know the Coronavirus is not a biological weapon and you know as you've seen online with all major world events such as like 9-11 the coronavirus inspired many conspiracy theories mm. and has also inspired state-sponsored misinformation campaigns as well from different countries sort of pointing the finger at one another what are your thoughts and observations and what you've sort of seen uh, well first first of all it doesn't surprise me that somebody somewhere says oh my god this is a biological attack mm. because trying to blame plagues and epidemics on people is pretty old Okay, or trying to blame it on some causative factor. It used to be people blamed it on God. God is giving us this plague because we've done something wrong. Mm. Uh, it doesn't take very far into the early Middle Ages where people start blaming blaming the Jews. It's the Jews that did it to us, or blaming the foreigners. You know, and sometimes the foreigners get the poor blamed by proxy because actually the plague turns up on the rats, and on the rats are the fleas, and rats are on ships. So yes, uh, it turned up with the foreigners, but it really isn't the foreigners themselves that had it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so trying to blame things on somebody else is as old as the hills. Yeah. Conspiracy theories are old as the hills. But, you know, within within our lifetime, I don't know how old you are. I'm 51. Within my lifetime, conspiracy theories, when I was a kid, mm. spread in dodgy newsletters and strange magazines. And you had to go to the, you had to go to the weird bookshop on the other side of town. And, you know, with a couple uh, yeah, the, the one that always had the FBI surveillance van parked out in front of it. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, I bet they uh, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you would subscribe to a newsletter. Not that yeah. I know this from firsthand opinion, but yeah, I've heard you, know, you subscribe to a newsletter, but it would show up suspiciously three days late. The envelope had been steamed open. Yeah, um, that was kind of how things were in the sixties mm. and seventies. To yeah. now, we have everything instantaneously. You know, I could have every conspiracy theory in the world. I've got sort of eight hundred megabytes per second. You know, fiber straight in my flat. I can mainline this stuff all day. Yeah. If I want to. And it's instantaneous and I can instantaneously find other people instead of just having to lurk about the dodgy bookshop. So the speed with which odd theories replicate. I mean, it's the reason why we call it going viral. I mean, it's a bad pun these days. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the theories, the information spread and duplicate faster than viruses actually do in real life. Okay, because they're not constrained by movement through uh, through through uh, time and space as a physical object is anymore, because, you know, strange ideas, strange theories have been reduced to electronic signals. There is a series of ones and zeros and they, you know, they float around the Internet, not quite at the speed of light, but pretty darn close. Yeah. But also when you get into something like COVID-19, which is it's biology and biology is weird. OK, uh, even people who took a you know, semester or two of biology in university are only scratching the scratching the uh, surface of it. There's a lot of difficult, hard concepts in science. OK, I'm, you know, I only partially I only partially blame the education system, partly because, you know, you can you can you can get a you know entire sort of bachelor's degree level uh, you know, understanding of biology. And you're only scratching the surface. 
uh, particularly of complex things. Viruses, for example, are very weird. Okay, uh, they've been with us since antiquity, but the list of things that we don't know about viruses is longer than the list of things we do know. So it's like subatomic particles or, you know, uh, things far out in space or things like that. This is sort of at the this is it's not at the it's not beyond the edge of our knowledge. It's at the edge of our knowledge. This is an mm. area where the frontier of knowledge sits right on viruses and we're expanding this. And so, you know, if the really smart people don't know things, then the general public really don't know things. Okay, and the general public is sort of desperate for some sort of reassurance of information, and there's a kind of one thing I've noticed about conspiracy theories. There's a sort of contrarian nature yeah. to them. Yeah. Also, a feature of conspiracy theories is is very often it tries to ascribe a sort of simplistic solution to something complicated. Mm. Okay, uh, this is why the classical conspiracy theory is no, no, no. It's all messed up, but it's messed up because so and so is pushing it. It's the Illuminati. Mm. It's the gnomes of mm. Zurich. It's it's, it's the Federal Reserve Bank, or who? it's Bill Gates, it's George Soros, whoever the culprit is. Um, I've not heard of the Gnomes of Zurich before. That's oh, interesting. yes, the Gnomes of Zurich, yes. What's that one? <laughs> Google that one, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, well, the Gnomes of Zurich is shorthand for rich Swiss bankers who secretly control everything. Yeah, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. If you get into if you so if you get into something like a a virus that's circulating around the world, you know it's relatively new. Yeah, you get in an area where there are both what I would call you know legitimate gaps in knowledge, and people just don't know, mm. and sort of illegitimate gaps in knowledge where people don't even make the effort to look up what a virus is and how it works, or you know, you know. So you know, there's a lot of things we do know about viruses, uh, and that's you know. And this this illegitimate you know lack of knowledge, that's that's a that's a space where the conspiracy theories you know hover the most. Now mm. they can also hover around and circulate in the legitimate gaps in knowledge because you know there's plenty of room for their oh well they don't know if they don't know why are they experts you know mm. obviously mm. if he doesn't know that what does he know maybe he doesn't know anything you know it's it's easy from a position of uh, uh, bombast and rhetoric to attack a scientist yeah and that's become more popular in the last since at least 2016 that's yeah. sort of become much more popular there's an interesting s study uh, i read about mm. it you know i read about it in the journal nature i, I black I, nature is the the leading scientific journal of, of, of basically modern history uh you know i blagged a subscription to it because i got an opinion piece into it last year uh and most of it i can't understand i'm a smart guy i can't understand these articles but there was a good article on vaccination and the anti-vax movement and all that mm. uh mm. where they did some really good networking analysis of who's tweeting about what who's looking at what facebook's and basically there's this legitimate world of uh, of vaccine you know, scientists and you know the mainstream the mainstream scientific viewpoint and then there's this other world of the vax truthers mm. Mm. and there's very little cross-pollination you know and you're not going to fix this problem until somebody starts to fix the middle there and start talking mm. to each other you know it's like it's it's like the it's like the sectarian divide in mm. in northern ireland you know you go back 40 years you know even though they lived on the next street over lots of protestants never knew a single catholic and lots mm -hmm. of Catholics never knew a single Protestant, and they lived parallel lives, even though they were literally just a, a street apart from each other. Uh, and one of the ways that you, you, one of the ways that that conflict gets fixed is, you know what? We live a street apart. We we both go to the pub and drink Guinness. 
You know, we both go to church on Sunday, but what actually happens in the church isn't actually that different. You know, turns out we're reading the same Bible, you know. Yeah. You know, so, but with the advent of the Internet and because in the Internet, you can self-select, you can zoom in onto, you can use your own confirmation bias. You can, you can Google you can Google a phrase you already believe in and find that and just confirm your own biases. It's easy to build these, uh, you know, well-insulated, you know, communities that don't deal very much with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know I, as you've noticed, I'm very active in Twitter. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a beast on there because I, I occasionally just, you know, maybe, a, maybe I'm a contrarian in my own way. Maybe I'm being a counter contrarian. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. I, I sometimes come across a nest of this stuff and I stick my head in and say, Hey guys, that's mm. not really how it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, sometimes, sometimes it stirs up a real hornet's nest. Sometimes it's just pointless. Sometimes, you know, you know, I get through to people. Who knows? Anyway. Well, I remember the. I remember you on Twitter with the scripple uh, poisoning. Uh, was that two years ago? Now I've lost yeah, track. It was twenty eighteen. Was that? Mm, and I think that's maybe where I even came first across to you. And um, yeah, it's just a, it, 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 there were all sorts of nonsense theories going around. And one of them was um, the Russian government were promoting this idea that somehow Porton Down was responsible for the scripple poisoning, and that yeah. was just bizarre. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. Well, you know, in that particular case, I mean, mm. that's an example. That's an interesting example of a conspiracy theory paradise because at the heart of it is a real conspiracy. Mm. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, it's not just some random act. It's not like a meteor fell out of the sky and squashed Sergei Skripal on his front doorstep. Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, a real conspiracy. Somebody cooked up a poison in the lab and transported it to, to England, and a couple of guys flew to England and reconnoitered his house and then got some poison and put it on his door handle and the guy died. Yeah. There's a conspiracy, yeah. an actual yeah. conspiracy. Uh, you know, it's, it, well, yeah, it, on the face of it, it's improbable. But the thing is, every other explanation is more improbable. Mm. You know, mm. uh, you know the the sort of proximity to Porton Down theory. You sort of assumes that some sort of magic blob of this stuff gets out of a jar, out of a bigger jar, out of a out of a box in a room, out of uh, yeah, in a secure building, and flies eight miles as the crow flies across the intervening countryside. Doesn't affect <laughs> anybody. Lands exactly on the door uh, on the door handle of a Soviet spy. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or, <Yes. laughs> or if if it was important down that did it on purpose, it assumes that the mm. great arm of the British state is reduced to public transport or bicycle radius. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that they couldn't find that they had to find the nearest guy. Yeah, you know, you know, that some bean counter important down has said, "All right, you know, here's your bus ferry into town. That's all we're going to give you for this yeah. assassination plot." I know we spent yeah. millions making this poison, but we're out of money. You know, get on your bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, it's it's improbable on many levels. Uh, yeah, 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 and that probably leads into where you want me to go with this soon here. In that, you know, mm. you can you can look at conspiracy theories at from a, a bunch of different levels. Oh, you can mm. uh, you look at you look at the real problem from different angles. You can look at the fake construction of the real problem, which is what a conspiracy theory is. Uh, mm. It's a yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a it's a construct behind what's really happening. In most cases, some conspiracy theories are about things that aren't happening. But, you know, the case of COVID, it really is happening. Hospitals are full of dying people. Mm. All right. So you can you can look at conspiracy theories behind that and start examining what 
props up that conspiracy theory. Mm. Well, yeah. And one of the things that's also interesting, um, and a little bit related to what we talked about Scripple, was the state-sponsored misinformation. Like with, mm. um, I think China are blaming America. I think Russia are just cashing in on that anti-American sentiment. Any any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, well, yeah, it's a little bit like me in my own career. It's in that, you know, <laughs> well, in that nobody wants to let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah. <laughs> If you've got an axe to grind against China, now's the time to grind the axe. Mm, mm. Uh, if you have an axe to grind against the Americans, now's the time to do it. If you're Russia and your country is kind of going to shit, which it is, uh, it's time to like you know distract. You know, mm. uh, you know it's. I mean, this COVID thing is basically like the house being on fire, but the entire house is on fire. Part of the house is on fire, and and the fire is slowly spreading. But yeah. there's some clever bastard somewhere else that says, well, I can steal the TV and the radio and the, and, and all the silver out of the other end of the house because the fire is not there. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, you know, people will make use of a crisis for nefarious ends. Mm. And you see that going on here, mm. whether it's state sponsored, whether it's extremist groups. There are, you know, there are there are extremist groups using this as a recruiting tool. Both. Yeah, you know, there's I've, I've seen evidence of Islamist extremists, you know, doing, you know, Al-Shabaab in East Africa is blaming this on the white man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the man holding us down. You know, uh, this is a foreign thing brought on us. We need to fight back here. Join us. Mm. There are various far right groups that are what they call basically accelerationists. These are mm. dangerous guys. They want to see the end of civilizations. We know it so they can rebuild it in their own image. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so they want to take advantage of the chaos. Yeah. 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 So sadly, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, if you look back in you look back in 1940 during the Blitz, you know, the so-called spirit of the Blitz, bombs were dropping in London, but a lot of theft and looting went on. Mm. OK, mm. we don't like to talk about it. It's considered unpatriotic to talk about that. Crime went way up during the Blitz. So there's always going to be somebody, whether that's somebody individually or somebody corporately as a body, as in a state or an organization, to take advantage of bad situations. Mm. Mm. Biological weapons obviously do exist and research yeah. does, um, you know, has been and continues to be conducted by certain countries. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of what you know about sort of the history of the bioweapons research and how it's done and why it's done? OK, now, officially, everybody renounced biological uh, weapons in 1972 with the Biological Weapons Convention. Yeah. It might have been 1973. I'd have to fact check that. But the United States, for example, got out of uh, biological weapons research before that, 1969, under uh, under President Nixon. Uh, you know, people complain about President Nixon, but they actually did some interesting and good things. Mm. Uh, um, basically, as, as a modern thing in the modern era, biological weapons were done by a handful of major states as possible weapons of mass destruction to use against the enemy. Yeah. All right. Uh, not many examples of them actually being used. There's some examples from the First World War against horses. Mm. Uh Glanders, which is a disease that affects it mostly affects livestock, but it can affect people. Glanders was a, was probably used uh, when when uh, Romania got invaded in 1916. Uh, there was a plot to release glanders in the eastern U.S. Uh, by German spies. Again, this is a point at which yeah, livestock is highly useful by armies, not mm. just as food, but as a, as a transportation source. Mm. But nothing really came much of this. Research picked up again in the Second World War and then really took off during the Cold War. I, um, but I want, I, want to, I want to sort of skewer a couple myths about biological warfare yeah. Uh, yeah, and biological weapons research. Mm. Uh, if you look at what nation states were trying to do 
very rarely were they trying to use things that were actually contagious from person to person directly. Mm. Mm. Okay, uh, because none of the none of the major you know parties working on this stuff wanted to infect their own people, their own yeah. population, their own army. So you wanted something that was targetable, something mm. that we could attack a specific area mm. or a you know. Uh, a huge strain of biological weapons research was based on agriculture. You want something to uh, attack a certain crop, yeah. You know, a certain a certain breed of livestock, things like that. So, uh, so the, if you look at the classic, the classic biological warfare agents, things like anthrax, uh, brucellosis, mm. uh, you know, this thing called Venezuelan equine encephalitis. Uh, these are things that are directly contagious from person to person in the same way that things like flu and cold and are, you know, uh, the Soviet Union worked a bit on smallpox, which is. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, they did so full well in the knowledge that they had the ability to vaccinate their own population. OK, uh, there's there's basically no there's no history of anybody trying to use humans as a vector. Let's I, let's let's make some people sick and cause an epidemic from mm. human to human mm. as the method of spreading biological warfare. Mm. They worked on physical means, things like bombs and you know missile warheads and stuff, that, uh, aerial spray tanks and things like this that would spray a fine mist of spores or you know virus containing particles or droplets containing. Uh, uh, bacteria, and so they could they could they could attack a particular area. Uh, the the other great thing is most of that had an abysmally bad record in testing. Mm. Uh, it was extremely unpredictable because uh, virtually every method of disseminating this stuff in the environment killed most of your germs. Okay, uh, it's one of the reasons why anthrax became one of the more heavily developed ones of the uh, because it survives quite well in the environment because it's a it, it it spins a little protective cocoon around itself and you know that's what an anthrax spore is so anthrax spores will survive out in the environment survive longer in direct sunlight most of them don't even survive direct sunlight for very long so mm. biological warfare has to be done at night you know in very precise uh, meteorological conditions if you're going to have any sort of value for the vast amounts of money you spent on it. And even then, it's quite unpredictable. But you start getting into the 50s and 60s and 70s, uh, you know, the people starting to, you know, the, the scientists who work on this stuff, they're not working in a vacuum. They're, they're, work, they're, working, in a, they're working for generals, and, you know, uh, ministries of defense, the Department of Defense, they're working for the Pentagon. The Pentagon wants to, have, you know, and the equivalent of the Kremlin, they want predictable results for use of a weapon. They, they don't want well, we could use it, and maybe a lot of them will die. Maybe nothing will happen. That's that's like firing a nuclear missile with a ten percent chance that the the missile's going to go off. Yeah. <laughs> the, the warhead's going to yeah. go off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically, it, the 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 Cold War was this whole period where several things happened. First of all, nuclear weapons became more prevalent. Nuclear weapons became very reliable in that we're pretty sure that we're not going to have a dud when this nuclear weapon gets fired. Okay. Most of the most of the uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars, pounds, rubles, all that get spent on the on the on the physical reliability of nuclear weapons. So you got to take this thing, you got to launch it all the way up into orbit, back down into orbit. It's going to come screaming in at Mach twenty one. It's going to hit its target and it's going to go off. You know, you know, you, thousands of PhDs get put to work on that. Okay, uh, it's a period of point where a period of time where conventional lethality, artillery shells, become more accurate. 
Uh, even things like rifles become more accurate because we're using different, you know, different uh, ammunition. We're putting more money into barrels and optics on the weapons. Uh, bombs become guided instead of just dumb bombs dropped off of an airplane. Uh, you know, conventional lethality becomes more precise, more predictable. Uh, then you have the whole area of chemical weapons. Chemical weapons are less reliable than this mm. and and biological weapons are even less reliable than chemical weapons mm. Mm. okay so they're not uh, really a good tool basically if you're going to try and take out a nation it's not really a great tool is it yeah it's not if you're looking at your spreadsheet of if you're looking at your spreadsheet of available options whether you're a small player or a big player if you're a big player your available options range all the way up to nuclear weapons and aircraft carriers and you know all this in armies full of tanks and it's like why bother with this okay if even if you're at the small end, if you're if you're a, if you're a, if you're an extremist group or a cult, you know, and you're working at you know, uh, you know, I really want to take out these guys because they're my enemy. Uh, the expenditure for chemical and biological weapons, you look at it and you look at the timeline it's going to take you. Yeah, it might take a couple of years, take millions of dollars, and we still don't know if it's going to work. Um, you know, even you know, you know, even Aum Shinrikyo, the cult in Japan and mm, uh, Al Qaeda, mm. they've got accountants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They've got bean counters. Yeah. You know, somebody somewhere says, you know what? We could buy a lot of guns for this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. You know, we could buy a lot of explosives. You know, mm. explosives are, you know, far more reliable. You know, yeah. uh, we can make a bomb that will probably go off when we want it to go off. Mm. Uh, mm. So, in the context of other ways of killing people, you know, biological weapons, even when they were, you know, very well crafted, were pretty dodgy actually uh and that's one of the reasons why it was easy for most countries in the world to say you know what we can't be bothered i mean president nixon did this in 1969 he and his incoming staff were looking at these briefings of this stuff he has like you gotta be kidding me <laughs> cut this crap out <laughs> and there was a whole bunch of uh, now declassified memos circulating on this and basically all the u.s biological warfare stuff all went into the incinerator yeah. Over the course of a couple of years. Alas, the Russians at the time, the Soviet Union didn't. They said they did, but it turns out because we know they we know they kept manufacturing after the uh, after the ban because there was a there was a horrible accident involving anthrax in the city of Sverdlovsk in nineteen seventy-nine. I get it might be nineteen seventy-eight. I'd fact check that if I were you. It was seventy-eight, seventy-nine, there was the Sverdlovsk anthrax incident. Uh Interestingly, Boris Yeltsin was the mayor of Sverdlovsk at the time. Oh, okay. yes, uh, there's your yeah. I, I like populating these facts. Yeah, into these is this things. where his alcohol problem started? Yeah, could could be. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, this, that would have been the night to stop drinking. Mm. Uh, so, you know, when he gets to COVID nineteen, you start to look at the whole idea of, you know, even taking all the technical reasons. Out of the out of the thing, yeah. You know, talking to people who know a lot about viruses and you know stuff, looking at this, how this virus is, and saying, you know, you know what, that's that's not man-made. A, vi a virologist can look at it, and basically, a man-made virus these days, from their perspective, looks like a Frankenstein thing because it's stitched together yeah. out of various other things. It's yeah. literally a Franken virus, yeah. Uh, and that and COVID isn't, you know. This 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 COVID virus, this coronavirus. The guys who are smart at this stuff look at what's called the phylogeny, which is basically what they can do. They 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 can basically backward calculate how many generations this thing has been around. Okay, mm. 
and look at some very small changes in its RNA between generation. All right. And you have to understand, you know, for, for, for human beings, what a generation is what, 20 years, okay? Uh, 20 years for, for a virus is probably a million, two million generations or something like that because they can replicate very quickly. So you look through the, you, you sort of backward calculate uh, the, where this virus came from, uh, you know, and they're pretty, and you can look at how it's put together. They say, you know, it's pretty similar to something we see floating around in a bat. Uh, it probably had an intermediate stop between a bat and humans. Uh, but that jump from bat to something else happened as early as 1948. All right. As late as the mid nineties, but probably somewhere firmly in the middle there. Mm. Okay. There's been some studies on this. Uh, you know, I know the Chinese famously played the long game, but they weren't plotting a. They weren't plotting this in 1948 mm. to happen in, mm. in 2020. And also, they've also they've lost so many people because of it as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. You know, and you, you start getting into the practical matters. Mm. You know, uh, behind be, be, behind the behind this, uh, nobody nobody starts. Nobody starts a pandemic on purpose, and nobody particularly starts a pandemic on purpose by infecting one person. You know, we can trace this back to an index case or on around the first of December mm. of of uh, of last year. Okay, uh, you know, if it now if the index case was twenty thousand people, some other part of the world, all on the same day, mm. you know, that would be far more suspicious. What we have is basically organic slow spread. Mm. In one city in China, mm. you know, trace back as far as we could tell the one case and just and, and, and you know, he would have gotten just exposed in late November. Uh, you know, the, that's that's not how you do a biological attack. If, if, you, if you take it to the fact that, you know, who designs a biological weapon whereby the the old people who are the least productive members of society and arguably the ones that cost society the most to maintain mm. Mm. are the most victimized. You know, if you were designing biological weapon, let's see, for actual warfighting purposes, you know, let's let's take out the military age population, the guys yeah. that fight the war. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, and even then, if you look back in history, tying this into history, uh, the 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 great biological weapons of the U.S. program weren't anthrax and smallpox and plague that, you know. Would kill people. They were things like tularemia and something called Q fever and another mm. thing called uh, brucellosis. These mm. are things that rarely killed anybody, but what they did was they made people very sick for a very long period of time. Yeah. And the idea that making a soldier sick for three months is a far more of a detriment to the enemy's logistics than just you know killing somebody in two days. Uh, so so you know if you look at this template of ideal biological weapons. Uh, yeah, this SARS-CoV-2, COVID, whatever you want to call it, doesn't plug into it anywhere. Mm. And if you look at ways in which, you know, people thought about disseminating biological weapons, you know, in, in a way to achieve some end, mm. uh, it doesn't fit into that. Mm. And then there's the underlying sort of geopolitical stuff. <laughs> Who benefits from this? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, the, the, the Chinese don't benefit from it, you know, uh, you know, particularly since they're the world's uh, they're the world's factory. Uh, and, mm. you know, risking either a trade war or a shooting war because actually using biological weapons is what they call casus belli. It's it's a reason to go to an actual shooting war. It's the yeah. same as it's the, it's the same as bombing Pearl Harbor. Mm. OK. And they wouldn't risk it, would they? Would they no, I, yeah. I don't. You know, I, you know, you know, I, I, I see I see a, 
I see a strain. I see a strain of you know this sort of fundamental bigotry of this is a this sort of the oh the weird cunning of the Asiatic mind. You don't have you know you, you don't yeah. you, know, you don't you don't have to scratch these theories very far to say to to get to oh those clever Chinamen they're really out to get us. This is the yellow peril. It goes mm. way back to you know sort of stuff we used to say about the Japanese in the nineteen mm. thirties and nineteen forties. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's you know. You know, it's 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 no it's no different than these theories that yeah that, oh yeah Israel the, Israel is blamed for everything. Mm. It's Israel and the Zionists that did. Mm. You know, yeah. For example, I'm surprised you know, they haven't been blamed more. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Sure, in ten years' time, it'll be the. <laughs> You're just not looking at the right parts of Twitter. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's these uh, look, Swiss gnomes, I, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I I look at this stuff, and guys like you don't have to. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, from so as far as I'm concerned, you know, yeah, the, it's the China what did it. You know, I mean, you know, I can't, I can't discount mm. completely, categorically, a some sort of accidental lab release. You yeah. know, that did it. That's not, that's not the same scenario. No, that lab in Wuhan that everybody keeps sort of saying there's a lab in Wuhan. It's a bit like um, Porton Down near um, yeah. Salisbury. It's sort of turning into that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and nobody really know, Nobody really knows truly if COVID mm. really erupted there or mm. whether it was burning somewhere else and mm. it just got written off to something else. Mm. And it, it got turned up in Wuhan because the lab was there. Yeah. Because the lab could, could look at it, you know, and say, hey, you know, that lab is there. Hospitals feed samples of the lab, you know, hey, you know. Mm. And there are legitimate reasons for studying something like COVID, aren't there? Well, from- exactly. Mm. E- exactly. Because they had a close call with SARS. Mm. Uh, the Middle East had a close call with this thing called MERS. They're both very closely related. Other viruses are huge problems. I mean, Ebola is a problem. Mm. Uh, yellow fever uh, mm. is a problem. You know, we still don't really know. We know how to prevent yellow fever. We vaccinate it. And we, we, we do mosquito control. We, we don't really have good treatments for yellow fever. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, viruses are a problem. Viruses are a problem not just in people. Viruses are a problem in agriculture. Mm. Uh, viruses are a problem in, in, in livestock, birds. Viruses could be a problem in plants. Okay. Uh, so there's a million reasons why you want to look at viruses. Mm. Uh, you can't tell me that the, uh, the tobacco industry isn't heavily looking at viruses because something called the tobacco mosaic virus uh, could really take out tobacco crops. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in tobacco agriculture, but I'm pretty sure that they've spent a lot of money over the years fighting the threat of tobacco yeah. mosaic virus. Yeah. And I think in the UK, is it birch trees are at risk of a certain virus? I think it's birch trees. Uh, prob- probably. I mean, I think... Mm. You know, when you look at this stuff, there's a there, first of all, there's a there's there's a little bit of us being all arrogant in the civilized, cultured West to say, oh well, it's the rest of them, it's somebody else out to get us. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reality, when it's all said and done, you know, this is going to burn through a lot of people who aren't white. Okay, mm-hmm. but trust me on that. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, and it's it's very sad. And so, uh, you know, but also we have to look at it bigger than us. All these theories. They would say, oh, this has got to be man's doing yeah. somehow. A really, really uh, gives short shrift to the evolutionary power of Mother Nature. Uh, and I mean, that's what people don't like the idea that we're not in charge of our environment. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I suspect some of the climate change denial out there is some sort of deep seated angst mm-hmm. about the fact that, you know, the environment is big and we're actually messing up this big thing, mm, you know, mm. this idea that we aren't the center of the universe. OK, you know, 
from 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 the perspective of the entire universe, we're we're basically a tiny little infestation on a on a on a on a, on a rock that has mm-hmm. a lot of other infestations too. We're just the yeah. ones that got to the point where we're aware that we're the infestation. Okay, <laughs> uh, viruses have been around longer than humanity has been around. Okay, you know, bacteria have been around that long. Disease has been around that long. You know. Uh, you know, who's to say that a lot of dinosaurs didn't fall over dead from viruses? We just uh, can't tell because uh, with, with dinosaurs, we're looking at fossilized rocks. We're not looking at dinosaur flesh. So we can't tell. We have to make educated guesses. So this anthro- anthropocentric is the word that you know, I use in the Washington Post. Yeah, it's a you know, fancy word. I get pillaged a bit online for using fancy words. But, you know, this this, you know. Yeah. This is obviously big and bad, so it must be man-made. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, it, it's just as much a fallacy as this is big and bad. It must be God in the sky or the mm. great demon or whoever. You know, you well, know, yeah. You know. We like to believe there's an intelligence behind things, don't we? And sometimes things just do happen. And I think people are yeah. inherently scared of that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'm actually a church-going Christian. You know, uh, I don't know bring too much religion into this, but it. it it's in Christian theology and Muslim theology, Jewish theology, you know, all major theologies struggle with, you know, this, well, if the creator loves us so much, why are these bad things happening? These yeah. are things that theologians struggle with. Yeah. Okay. And if really learned theologians, so you go back in history, basically the only learned people were theologians at various points because they're, they're the people with books. You know, if the smart people of society were really worried about that issue for over, you know, for the last 2000 years, you can't blame an average person for being worried about this issue in this mm. day and age. Okay. Mm. I mean, these are fundamentally troubling philosophical issues. The bad thing is happening. Why is the bad thing happening? And nobody likes the answer. It just is. Mm. Okay. You know, I mean, a great meteor could come screaming out of the cosmos, destroy us all. Uh, believe me, there are days on Twitter. I wish that would happen, but you know, uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, we got it coming. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's nothing stopping that. Mm. Um, but we like to think we control our existence. Uh, yeah, we've, spent, yeah. we've spent much of our human civilization building ways we control our existence. We're no longer reliant on what we can hunt and gather. Yeah. We're no longer reliant on, you know, a couple of guys with sticks to go kill the mastodon and, uh, and, the, old, uh, and the women of the tribe to gather roots and berries. Or else we're going to starve because we mm. developed agriculture. And then we mm. developed ways of storing that. We developed branded beer. Hey. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we built cities, you know, to protect that stuff. And we, we built armies to protect ourselves from the guys going to come and steal our food. And eventually we come up with medicine and science and make our lives better. So, you know, we don't all die at the age of 30 like we mm. used to. Mm. Uh, so we're used to, we have, we have, you know, hundreds of generations of us trying to control our environment. And, it's like spending all day, all day cooking to realize your meal is a complete disaster, you know. But I've got the best kitchen, I've got the best ingredients, I've got the best tools, I use the best cookbook, and the meal's a complete disaster because something stupid happened. All right, the power went out. Uh, you know, uh, the 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 ingredients were mislabeled. You put the wrong thing into the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah, some some random thing happened and your meal was ruined. And you run around screaming, oh, my God. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, just, and, you know, people get upset. Uh, something comes like this and disrupts us. You know, uh, this is why, you know, in some parts of the, de- uh, the developing world, people are not as messed up in the head about this. Uh, partly because, you know, modern health, modern medicine has given us the luxury of mostly not being afraid of 
epidemic or pandemic disease. Mm. If you if you live in a small village in the Congo, mm. uh, you 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 live with a fear of that. Okay, there's a lot of diseases in places like that, or the Amazon, or parts of Southeast Asia or South Asia. There's all there's places where there's a lot of nasty diseases that we don't even think about. Uh, and there are there are epidemics and pandemics that rage through the world, and it's you know page twenty seven news. And we don't really think about it that much. Uh, if you live in that day to day reality, you develop a certain resilience that maybe we don't have. Mm. You know, a good friend of mine uh, has done some work in Cape Verde Islands, and he's got a friend who mm. you know is trying to restore an old hotel. Cape Verde Islands were a Portuguese yeah. hotel. He's taking yeah. an old Portuguese villa and turning it in hotel. He says, "Look, nice. I got these." Yeah. I got these laborers. They don't know a kilogram or a meter. Uh, I tell them to turn up at nine o'clock. They might turn up at eight o'clock or twelve o'clock because they don't really have any sense of time. Yeah, they don't understand any of the stuff. They kind of do what I tell them. But you know what? If the world ended tomorrow, these guys would be okay because they've seen it all. Mm. Mm. <laughs> okay, they'll go and fish and they'll go you know collect cassavas out of their out of their out of their fields and they're not going to starve to death. Some of them will die, but they're used to that and they're not going to yeah. get worked about. It, whereas we'll mm. all you know come unhinged. Mm, mm, mm. So, so this is a this is an object lesson in our fragility as opposed to our resilience. Yeah, and I th I think you know we need to get through this, and when we will get through it, we'll realize that you know we're stronger for it for the most part. If you don't mind answering this, where do you think the world's going to go after this? What do you think is going to happen next? Some things are going to be an easy recovery. You know, mm. some things are going to be a longer, slower recovery. Mm. Uh, and if we push it too hard, it's going to be counterproductive because if we just push it too hard, we're going to start seeing a second wave. And, you know, we're going to start seeing a second wave once the weather in the autumn starts going shitty. Yeah, well, that's what worries me. Yeah, I wor I'm worried for a second wave. I mean, yeah. just looking at people's behavior where i'm based um i feel like i get a sense people have semi given up in the last week or so um so yeah. it's like i'm not quite sure that's a good thing so yeah yeah why can't we have rainy bank holiday weekends like we used to why does it have to be so sunny on the on the bank holiday weekends <laughs> i know it's been I a mean, really a good year from that point yeah, of view isn't it yeah yeah a couple of rainy a couple of really rainy messed up weekends could break the back of this thing yeah 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 oh man well yeah. it might be a wet august <laughs> It's yeah. been really gorgeous, the weather in London, since the lockdown started. It's typical. Exactly. It's been suspiciously dry. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, odd, you know. Well, Dan, thank you. Where can listeners find out more about you and your work? The the key mechanism I have is my is my Twitter feed, Dan Kazita, K-A-S-Z-E-T-A. Uh, I have a little bit of a web page with my with my with my consulting company, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a wreck. I don't really point mm. people to that. Uh, <laughs> I have a book coming out. Uh, uh, the book is called Toxic. It's the history yeah. of nerve agents. That's yeah. coming out the first of July. You yeah. literally put my. But you know, I have a unique surname: K A S Z E T A. You know, Dan Kazita. I'm the only one. Put me in Google. I, you know, the weirdos can find me, so the normal people can find me. <laughs> Excellent. There's a challenge there. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know. <laughs>